Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. It's so wonderful to be here today. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Uh, I know probably none of you had anything to do with it, and um, there is a relationship here, so that's probably why I'm here. But hey, I'm going to take full advantage of it. I wanted to talk today about love. That's your theme today. And so let's look at, um, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 1 through 3. But before we do, uh, it's said that male eagles court female eagles very high up in the air and high in the altitude. And some people actually think they're mating. It's kind of like kids close your eyes. But what's actually happening is they are wrapping their talons around each other and they are diving straight down. And uh, they are actually falling in love. Everybody say, oh, oh. It's a process. It's actually displays of affection. Eagles. How cool is that? But because of the high altitude, this ensures that an eagle will never fall in love with a chicken. (laughs) And so God is calling me higher in my relationship to ensure that he is reproduced in my life, right? He doesn't want mutts running around. He's into purebreds, right? He's paid too high a price for me to fool around with something or someone beneath me. He's calling us higher. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm afraid of heights. And I've learned this, that I didn't realize I was afraid of heights until I was really high. Have you ever been there before? You're like a little bit too high up on the ladder, and you think you're fine, and then all of a sudden you look down at that moment, and you go, oh, oh, I feel unstable, right? I used to think that going higher in my relationship with Christ was having more faith or fasting more. Okay, let's just be honest, fasting, right? Okay. And not like Netflix. What about people who are like, Shar, I'm fasting this week. Oh, really? Yes, I'm fasting Netflix. Wow, that's great. Okay. And I always think in my mind, like, he died on the cross, but you're giving up Netflix. Cool, cool, right? Okay, all right. That's great. What about prophesying or, or tithing above 10% or evangelizing my entire neighborhood? Well, that would be going higher in my relationship with the Lord, wouldn't it? But then I read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, and it it really has the ability to turn everything on its head, kind of like the kingdom of God. It says this, if I could speak in any language in heaven or on earth, but I didn't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal, verse 2. And if I had the gift of prophecy and I knew all the mysteries of the future and I knew everything about everything, but I didn't love others, what good would I be? And if I had the gift of faith so that I could move to, uh, so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move without love, I would be no good to anybody. And if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would be of no value whatsoever. And so when Paul said these words, it was revolutionary because for 400 years they hadn't had a prophet. And every mom was wanting little Johnny, her precious son, to become the next prophet. Come on, Johnny, you know you can prophesy. You can't. Okay. But Paul changes everything and he throws everything on its head because he's saying, you know what, right now, love 
is what it's about. Love. Because see, once prophecy is fulfilled, it's gone. But love, love lasts. It lasts forever. And you know, I, I don't know about you, but love makes me do crazy things. Love makes me do crazy things. I'll, I'll never forget one time I was walking home from school and I was probably uh, nine and my sister were three and a half years apart from each other, so she was like 12 and a half. And we're walking home from school and these two guys pull up in this really, really, really big truck, like with these super huge big tires. And, and we're gonna name one Jim Bob and the other one Jed, just for the sake of the story, so that we all kind of get what sort of, um, what color their neck was <laughs> in the story. No offense, I know that's politically correct, but hey, I come from a long line, it's all good. And so, so we're walking along, and um, all of a sudden, Jim, Bob, and Jed, they pull the truck over, and they say, excuse us, girls, but we've lost our puppy. Will you help us look for our puppy? Now, now I got to tell you, daddy's a mortician, all right? So growing up in my household was like a thousand ways not to die. You know, <laughs> we, we always bit the peppermint in half, you know? We, uh, we, we lived by the ocean, and so we never actually went in all the way. We could only go up to our thigh. I mean, there was just a whole plethora of things that we knew not to do uh, that, that people, we had seen people ha had done that ended up dead. And so when you live kind of in that state, you go, you know, note to self, right? And so daddy had taught us stranger danger. If these people do these kinds of things, run. And so it's amazing how my sister and I had grown up in the same household, but we learned two very different lessons. And so my sister looks at them and she says, what does your puppy look like? And I go, Sharice. I'm, 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 so I just ignore them and I go, Sharice, they want to kidnap us. And she turns and says to me, mother's going to be so mad at you when we get home that you've been so rude to these men. So every year, I remind her that if you like wearing shoes and not learning the banjo up in the mountains, you need to thank me and give me really big Christmas gifts because I saved our lives that day. And so when you love somebody and they're not listening and you're trying to save them, I, I, I was thinking, what do I do? Do I just knock her out and drag her home by her hair? You know, it's one of those moments where you're like, what do you do? You love them. Love makes you do crazy things like sending your only begotten son into a very small, dingy manger. Recently, I, um, I read a story of a pastor who said to his crew, I want to redo the basement in the church. And so every Saturday, they were these weekend warriors, and they would get up, and they would go down to the basement of the church, the, the men in the church, and and they were framing, and, and only one of the guys really knew what he was doing. Only one of them was a contractor, and so he was kind of leading the parade, but he would poke his head in and out and just supervise what was going on. And so everything seemed to be going really well until they got to the part where they were putting the sheetrock on the walls. And, you know, I've never um, sheetrocked before, but I understand that you're supposed to line them up on the studs, and so when they got to that part, they realized that they were off in their measurements, and not the sheetrock wasn't lining up, and so it took them a whole entire day. They had to go back and go through and redo all of the framing. 
And the contractor came in and he said to them, he said, I want to see your measuring tape. Now, this is my measuring tape. I, I have it at home. It's, I, think, I think every woman here probably has one of these. And where do we keep it, ladies? In the kitchen drawer, right? It's the truth because what do we measure? We measure the new couch will fit right here. See, that's what we use this for, right? This is our toolbox right here. Mine's called Stanley. Little Stanley, I get him out every once in a while when I want new furniture. And so I didn't know this, but every, every measuring tape's a little bit different. And so, and so the contractor came in and he said, wait a second, let me, let me see all of y'all's measuring tapes. And so they went over and they looked and sure enough, everybody had a different brand. And so they had to go down to Lowe's or Home Depot and they all had to start using the same kind of measuring tape. And the reality is true with us today in the kingdom of God that love is God's measuring tape. And he's saying, hey, I want everyone to use the same tape. Some Christians think that faith is God's measuring tape. And because your faith hasn't built a multi-million dollar church, then you don't measure up. Or maybe your faith hasn't healed anyone yet. Or you still struggle with a particular sin. If you just had enough faith, you could measure up like I do. Some Christians think prosperity is the measuring tape. I have a nice house, a beautiful car, and designer clothes. See, God loves me, but this measuring tape, it doesn't work in Accra, Ghana, West Africa. They're poor. Do they not measure up? But they are some of the happiest people I've ever met in my entire life. Henry Drummond says this, that love is a simple passport that allows you to mingle with Indian society. It allows you entrance into courts, palaces, or small cottages. And I found that to be true. My mom, in my world, is a love. And if you've ever met my mother, she is an absolute love. She would hug all of you right now in a heartbeat, just open arms. She, and she would leave and she would say, I just love them. I wish I could go to church there. My mom, she is so full of love. You could take her to the Democratic Convention, the Republican Convention, the Green Party. You could take her anywhere. Daddy, we don't let him out of the house. <laughs> but he's calling me higher. He's calling me higher to love. And this individual here that has acrophobia, the fear of heights, has a sense of panic when I get called higher. But I'm realizing this, that the higher I climb, the less I can carry. Huh. I told you, I worked for my dad. My dad, who was a funeral director. I worked for him when I was young. It was a dead-end job. And when they say dead weight, I'm telling you right now, that is the truth. There is no help there at all. At all. No response. I remember as a kid when I learned about divine healing and I came home and I tried it because we lived upstairs at the funeral home. I'm so glad that God doesn't answer all our prayers. I don't ever think I was afraid of dead people. I was afraid they'd ever come back to life. <laughs> Kind of true with some of the dreams that we put on the back burner in our lives. We're never afraid that they've died. We're always a little afraid they might come back to life. But that's another sermon. I used to be able to think I could carry a lot. And so sometimes my dad, when he would be there working late at night, he would say to me, hey, grab the end of that. And grab the end of that meant the end of that casket. You know, much like your childhood, I'm sure. 
And I would say, Dad, this is super heavy. I can't do this. You know, I always had this, uh, I'm a girl excuse. And he'd say, no, I'll just pick it up. And then I would pick it, and he would say, don't tell your mother. Because <laughs> my mother would get all bent out of shape. She's a young lady. I don't want her to ruin her back. But I remember those moments. Have you ever had those moments where you've lifted something that is way too heavy for you to carry, but you're trying to play it off like you can make it? And at first, you're, you're good. But then all of a sudden, what begins to happen? Your muscles begin to shake. And you can't pull it off very well. And, 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 and you begin to sweat. And you begin to sweat. I love what Richard Rohr says this. He says this, Father Richard Rohr. He says that in life, there are two major tasks in life. And the first half of our life is about building a strong container. Success survival, and establishing a platform. And the second task, or the second half of life, is about finding the contents the container is meant to hold. And as a young person, that is so true. You are just concerned about finding a platform. You just want a place to live. You want a job. You want to be marketable. You want to write down all your gifts and talents so that someone will pay you money for your gifts and your talents. And you want a place to live. And in fact, young people now, they're, they're even creating their own places to live, right? They're getting containers and they're making tiny houses. And, and I'm like, we used to have tiny houses. We called them mobile homes. <laughs> Isn't that revolutionary, right? And then we got a park and we put them all together. Think of that. And so, uh, yeah, let's market that idea. That's what I'm saying. And so, and so we, we, we try to get our platform, and then Richard Moore says that what we do in the second half of our life is we determine what needs to go into the container. What is it that goes into the container? I don't know about you, but there are those times when I feel like the Lord is calling me higher. And he's saying, come up here, Shar. I want you to see life from a different place. I want you to love people from a different altitude. I want you to see the situation a different way. I want to change your perspective because how many of you know that when you are in a different place, you're in a different perspective, you hear God different and you see things different. I'll never forget when I was leaving for a mission trip when I was going to, to uh, uh, Zimbabwe and I actually took uh, my, my cousins with me, Josh and Chris. I'll never forget when I left, my boss looked at me and he said, you know what, be really open because you can hear God differently when you're in Africa. I thought, wow, that is so true. It's amazing. I told one of my friends, I said, I don't understand it, but every time I'm on a plane, I hear God so clearly. And he, he looked at me and he's like, well, Shar, do you think maybe it's because you're bored and you're not doing anything? Maybe I'm just hearing God? Wow. And so all of a sudden, the Lord says to me, Shar, come up higher. I, I need you to come up here. And, and I'm down here looking at, though, at the stuff in my container. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, hold on, Jesus. I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming. But hold on, let me get my container. And he's like, no, Shar, Shar, leave the container. No, 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 no. Because I'm realizing, though, now that I'm, uh, you know, uh, middle age. can't believe I said that. 44. That the higher I climb, the less I can carry. The reality is, is there's only so many things I can carry in my container. And when I put more love in, it acts like helium. Have you ever noticed that? That love lightens the load. And there's some really good things in my container. 
there's some good things, but they're taking up room. And then there are some really negative things in my container. And I'm realizing this. I'm realizing that it's difficult to carry resentment, self-pity, and love all at the same time. Oh. Self-pity. A couple of months ago, I was with my parents. We were in my neighborhood. I recently, about three years ago, I moved from a community in Roseville to South Sacramento. It's in a, it, where I live now. Is, it's called Little Saigon. It's an it's a Asian community developed in the 80s when uh, Saigon fell and, and all of the, uh, a lot of the refugees had come from Vietnam. They were transferred from the Philippines to refugee camps. They came from the Philippines to Sacramento. Sacramento right now is one of the largest areas receiving refugees in the nation. And so I live in a little community called Little Saigon. But it's, it's, it's more than that. I say it's kind of like if Saigon and Compton got together and had a love child and named it Lil Saigon. That's, that's just, that's, that's what I call it. I call it Lil Saigon. Because there's a large African American community, a large Asian community, and then I'm representing the white folk. I, uh, I saw another white lady in my neighborhood and I was like, hey, how are you? Lunch later? Yeah. Could start our own committee. And so my parents, we were there. I love my community. I mean, you know, when I lived in Roseville, which was mostly Caucasian and everything was brand new, you know, I look at my neighborhood now and it's great because I love the diversity. I love that I could go to Dee Dee's Discounts in the Wingwall Market because they're just right across the street from one another. Uh, it's kind of cool. So we're sitting there and we're eating lunch at El Pollo Loco. <laughs> we threw that in the mix. And my dad says to me, he's so funny, my dad, I love my dad. He has no internal communication with, it's just all vocal with the mothership. It's just all out in the open. I love it. And he looks at me and he says, well, your mother and I sure wish we could help you like we're helping your sister. You know that chicken just stuck right here. And I'm like, you're helping my sister. Well, of course he's helping my sister. My sister's a widow with three children. Of course he's helping my sister. Honestly, I help my sister. And I should be doing more than what I do. But self-pity asks you this question all the time, why am I being penalized? And I find that I ask that question every time I have to pay taxes and I have no dependents. I'm like, don't they know I rescue dogs, you know? <laughs> Self-pity will always want you to look at what you don't have instead of what you have. CIA, former CIA agent John Downey was the longest held American captive prisoner of war and he was held for 20 long years and he learned that his captors might be able to scare him and manipulate his emotions, but they couldn't change who he was. He also said, I really found the most pernicious thing in prison was feeling sorry for myself. 20 years. In fact, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, has a saying that reads this, poor me, poor me, pour me another drink. <laughs> Self-pity. The word of God says, keep your, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And where does self-pity lead? Self-pity leads to a good old resentment, doesn't it? What is resentment? It's a bitter indignation at not being treated fairly. How do you know if you're resentful? You tell the same story over and over and over again. I had a grandmother that would tell us the same story about her mama over and over and over again. In fact, she told it so much that I could like get behind her and mouth the story. Have you ever been there before? And like the rest of the family would be laughing and you know, and I'm like, and you know, and I'm falling. And then she got dementia and then we heard it even more, right? We're like, Grandma, we've heard the story, but we all have a really good resentment story. We all have a somebody done me wrong song. And if you've been in church long enough, more than a week, you will have some of these songs as well. And it's, sometimes it's the song that causes people to leave instead of to work through their family issues. But what is it that conquers self-pity? It's gratitude. Ah, when I get too serious... I can be really hard on myself. I, I, I'm, I'm very much a perfectionist in some of the ways of the ways I operate in some of my type A personalities. I can, I can be a little high and tight. And so I have to find myself going back to something that is so essential in this life, and that is gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Every night, every single night, I go through my day and I write down two to three things that I was the most grateful for that day. And sometimes it's just running water. When you've been on a missions trip, you get back just running water. Man, a soft bed. No ants. <laughs> and then what is it that conquers resentment? It's prayer. You know, I find that when I am around someone that maybe I'm resenting, I don't have time to go into my prayer closet, so I use a very quick, almost like a mantra of a prayer, and it goes like this, it's bless them, change me. Now, I, I got to tell you, I hate this prayer. It's not a prayer I want to readily pray. It's not, I don't pray it like Mother Teresa. Lord, bless them, change me. No, I pray it sometimes like Clint Eastwood. Bless them, Lord. Uh, bless them real good. Go ahead, Lord, make my day and bless them. You ever been there before? I know David was. If you read some of the Psalms, you know, he's like praying like ants on their armpits and stuff. It's crazy flies and all sorts of gnats calling down things on them. You know, those are the prayers I want to pray. I don't want to bless them. The higher I climb, the less I can carry. If you've ever read the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, big book, it's a phenomenal book if you're in recovery at all. Towards the end of the book, a, a gentleman who was an alcoholic shares his story. And he said he had a resentment that he just couldn't get over. And so he finally went to his minister. And he said, I, I have a resentment, and I know if I don't deal with this resentment and I don't get over it, I will go back to drinking. Because how many of you know it's usually resentments that send us back to our addictions? Getting into the poor me, getting into self-pity, 
becoming more inward instead of giving away what we've been so graciously given. And the minister said to him, what I want you to do is for two weeks, every single day, I want you to pray for that individual the things that you want for yourself for two weeks straight. And he said, I did it. And it worked. These things aren't formulas. But I found in the kingdom of God that the Lord is attracted to humility. Sometimes you say, well, why is it that we pray on our knees? It's not because it's a formula. He comes low for the humble. Amen? What conquers resentment? Prayer. The higher I climb, the less I can carry. And the more I love, the less I keep for myself. And I find that I want to give things away. And I'm finding that eventually I want to give myself away. Like Paul, I want to be spent for the gospel. Because love is patient and it's kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong when it's been wronged. It's never glad about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. It never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful, and it endures through every single circumstance. Love. Something so simple as love. You don't have to go to college to get a degree for it. Amen? Amen? You don't have to learn a new operating system. You don't have to have the latest app. You don't have to be, you can be technically challenged and yet loved. Brennan Manning is one of my favorite authors, and he wrote The Signature of Jesus, a book. And he writes about a fellow monk named Dominique. And he says this, I'm, I'm going to close with this. He says this. Dominique was a lean, muscular, six feet, two inches. And he learned at the age of 54 that he was dying of inoperable brain cancer. And so he went to the monastery and asked their permission if he could be moved to a poor neighborhood in Europe. And he, they, they obliged him, and he eventually took a job as a night watchman in a factory. And returning home every morning around 8 o'clock, he would go directly to a little park across the street where there were some marginal people. He says some drifters, some winos, some has-beens, dirty old men that oogled the girls passing by. They would hang out at this park. I think every community has one of these parks. But Dominic never criticized or scolded or reprimanded them. He laughed, he told stories, he shared his candy, and he accepted them just as they were. Manning says that from living so long out of the inner sanctuary, he gave off a sense of peace, a serene sense of self-possession, and a hospitality of heart that caused cynical young men and defeated old men to gravitate toward him like bacon toward eggs. And his simple witness lay in accepting others as they were without questions, 
and allowing them to make themselves to be at home in his heart. Dominique was the most non-judgmental person I've ever known. He loved with the heart of Christ. And one day, while the ragtag group of rejects asked him to talk about himself, Dominique gave them a thumbnail description of his life, and then he told them with quiet conviction that God loved them tenderly and stubbornly, and that Jesus had come for rejects and outcasts just like themselves. And his witness was credible because the word was enfleshed on his bones. And later, one old-timer said, the dirty jokes and the vulgar language and the leering at girls just stopped. But one morning, Dominic failed to appear on his park bench, and the men grew concerned. And a few hours later, he was found that it, he, it was discovered that he had died on the floor of his apartment. He had died in obscurity alone. Dominic had never tried to impress anybody. He never wondered if his life was useful or if his witness was meaningful. He never felt he had to do something great for God. He did keep a journal. It was found shortly after his death in the drawer of his nightstand by his bed, and his last entry is the, one of the most astonishing things Manning says he's ever read. And this is the entry. All that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. I can truthfully say that I have no interest in anything but the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If God wants it to, my life will be useful through my word and my witness. If he wants it to, my life will bear fruit through my prayers and sacrifices. But the usefulness of my life is his concern, not mine. It would be indecent of me to worry about that. Manning writes, in Dominic, I saw the reality of a life lived entirely for God and for others. And after an all-night prayer vigil by his friends, he was buried in an unadorned pine box in the backyard of the monastery. A simple wooden cross over his grave with the inscription, Dominic, a witness to Christ, said it all, as more than 7,000 people gathered from all over Europe to attend his funeral. Why, you ask? Because love is patient, uh -huh. and it's kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful or proud or rude. Love doesn't demand its own way. Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of when it's been wrong. It's never glad about injustice. It rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, and it's always hopeful, and it endures through every single circumstance. And someday when I leave this place, I want to have left everything on the field. I don't want to go to heaven with any love left in my measuring tape. Amen? So, Father God, we pray right now, Lord. As we take a moment to look at the things that are in our container today. Those things that make the container heavy. And Father, I know this morning if we were to have a yard sale, God, you were the only one who would show up to buy my junk. <laughs> you are the only one, Lord. You are the only one. So if you'll just take a moment, would you just examine your container? and the things that are inside? I know I am. 
Am I cleaning it out often enough? It's just not a one-time spring cleaning. It's a, it's a daily, Lord, I've let this slip into my container and I need to clean it out so that I can make more room for love in my container. Because the more love I have in my container, the lighter the container is. And God is calling me higher. Huh. He's saying, come up here, Char. Lay down the heavy stuff. And join me up here. A place where you can see everything from a different perspective. A place where you can love more. And give yourself away more. If you're here this morning and you say, Shar, huh, there's some things I need to put in the yard sale. I need to clean out my container. Would you just raise your hand? Every eye closed and all of our heads are bowed. Nobody's looking around. Would you just, yeah, I see that. Just raise your hand. There's some things I need to get out of my container. Some, maybe some resentment, some self-pity. Maybe you just need to forgive someone. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Father, thank you, Lord, that you came. That you came to show us love. The purest form of love. That you came as a baby. That you died on a cross. That you rose again. And now you call us. Hey, follow me. Go with the heavy stuff. Set it down. Come on this journey. God, I pray for us this morning as we set things aside uh, that we would have a sense of freedom, Lord. That we would go into this Christmas season with a lightheartedness and a joy and a compassion that maybe we haven't even known in years, God. And that is our gift, Father, to you. We give ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray.